Hello, everyone. Welcome to NFL Unwrap, where we unwrap the hottest takes from around the NFL. I'm your host, Corbin Weinerman, joined by, as always, my two co-hosts, Perry Aston and Christian McGowan. Guys, say hello. Hey, what's going on, guys? Wait, why are Perry and I the co-hosts and you're the host? Seems kind of like power grabby. <laughs> Third episode in. Okay, fine. Look, you know what we can do? I'm your co-host, Corbin Weinerman, joined by your two co-hosts. Perry asked I mean, the question from the guy. Is that is, better? If this is if this is your defining moment, like take take it, bro. It's all you. Meet no, Tom it's, Brady. It's fine. Welcome to NFL Unwrapped, where we unwrap Christian's feelings. Apparently, it's cheaper than my therapy sessions. So, um, <laughs> okay. thank you for yeah. saving me money. I'm fiscally responsible. I'll you're welcome. Take, uh, on the football guys, but I'll take fifty percent of whatever you're paying your therapist. So. <laughs> you wouldn't want that. <laughs> All right, so before we move on to football, though, guys, just remember that you can follow us on Twitter at NFL Unwrapped. You can also follow me on Twitter at CorbinMRPK, Perry on Twitter at Perry Aston, and Christian on Twitter at McGowan75. Also remember to subscribe to our podcast on the iTunes podcast app, and you can also listen to us on SoundCloud. So with that, let's get past all of our feelings and move on to football. Uh, NFL Unwrap, when we unwrap Christian's feelings. Uh, and Which are uh, very important, and, just as important as Perry Corbin's, and, by the way. Uh, and everything around the league. But let's uh, jump into our first topic, and a topic that I'm very excited to talk about. Johnny Menzel and his comeback. Uh, I know I'm a big fan. I'm pretty sure Christian is too. I don't know how Corbin feels, but I'm excited to hear you guys' opinions on him. But he... Hasn't been in the NFL for a bit, and he, of course, was dealing with a lot of personal issues uh, with him, with his drug issues, partying, um, really needed to grow up in a sense, and he realized that. I know he went to rehab, did a lot of other uh, things for him, for his personal image, and to eventually make a comeback, so that time is finally here. He's going into the Texas Spring League, uh, just a couple stats about that. It is uh, an elite developmental group, uh, a league that was pretty much for the NFL. It's for you know a scouting event for professional football talent. All teams in the spring league, they all use the same location. So when NFL scouts, GMs, player personnel directors, anyone of that kind of sort, when they get to come, they only have to go to one location to sort all through all of this talent. Um, and pretty much all of the players who participate in the Spring League have spent some time in the NFL, rather on an active roster, a practice squad, a preseason roster, whatever that may be. They have some sort of NFL experience or the capability to play in the NFL. Um, the Spring League consists of four games, two per team, played in April. Um, and this year it's being played in Austin, Texas from March 28th to April 15th, right before OTAs for the NFL, so that these players have the opportunity to sign with the team if that's uh, in the realm of possibility for them. So let's jump right in. His comeback season, what is he keeps talking about on Twitter, hashtag comeback season. He's going to the Spring League in Texas, where it all started for him, Texas A&M, uh, and more than 20 teams are expected to uh, attend his practices and games. I want to hear your guys' opinion on Johnny Menzel as a person, a player, and this comeback. Um, I'm really happy about it. Uh, he obviously at some point was a first-round talent, so if there's a chance that you could go and sign a first-round talent without you know, giving up a draft pick, because like I said, he was drafted in the first round. There's, even with the character issues, 
his talent is still there. It doesn't it might have dissipated a little bit, but if they can prove it's still there and you can go and sign him, that's a first round, you know, first round level pick. It's a home run hit as long as he really has changed. What about you, Corbin? Yeah, I think it's pretty much a risk free type of thing for teams. Um, Manziel, obviously, we'll see how he does in the spring game, um, the spring league. Manziel was a really good player coming out of college. He was, what was he, 21st overall pick, something first round. He had a lot of really electrifying plays in college that just had your jaw drop whenever you'd see him do that. He's a much better athlete than you would expect when you first look at him. He has a really strong arm. Accuracy was always a question with him. Obviously, the biggest concern with him was just character concerns and not really being too serious about football. Um, Hopefully, he's matured from that. It sounds like, from everything he's been saying, he's been working on trying to just be serious about football. If he can be, I think he can still carve out a role for himself in this league and maybe be a starting quarterback. He's, what, 24, 25 years old now? What do you think? He's still young. Yeah, I I totally agree. His athleticism is undeniable, and he makes plays that just put you in awe, and that's from Texas A&M. Even in the beginning of his NFL career, he was still making plays that it wasn't, the numbers weren't there that you were hoping for, but he was making plays when he did complete passes or runs that you were sitting back saying, wow, that's that's Johnny Menzel, and you were excited to see it. I think everyone is a Johnny Menzel fan deep down. Everybody roots for him, and they, everybody loves the money dance. Everybody loves what, you know, the attention that comes with it. I think for him, he really missed out an opportunity on being himself while playing NFL, just kind of how Gronkowski does it. He's a frat star. Gronkowski's hilarious. He just flaunts the number 69. He does stupid things like that hit that he did with the suspension. And he does all. Gronk is just out there and he knows it. Everyone's okay with it. He wins. He plays football. He performs. But he doesn't take it too far to where people are, you know, freaking out. And it's really drawing concerns about his character in a big way and a question if it's, if it's worth it to have him on your team. And that's where Johnny Menzel really, if he came in the league with the right mindset, could have done that his whole career, just like Gronkowski's done. But he can't go back to that anymore. He's really needs to prove himself. He's going with the fact that he's sober and that he's here and that he's focused. And he'll never be able to revert from that. He'll always be fighting an uphill battle because of the, the beginning of his career, you know, ruining it with you know, all of his dumb decisions. But really, this is his chance to come back as a new Johnny Menzel, not a different form of the old Johnny Manziel because that was the problem. Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up with comparing Johnny Manziel and Rob Gronkowski. Obviously, the biggest difference is just the talent level. Gronkowski's arguably the best tight end ever, and Johnny Manziel, 10, 15 years, if this comeback doesn't work, we might be... No one's going to be talking about him or remember him, but the difference between Manziel and Gronkowski as far as how they act character-wise... Gronkowski does a lot of things that sometimes make you scratch your head, but the way that he acts and his immature behavior, for the most part, it only affects him. He doesn't affect anyone else. With Johnny Manziel, I remember when he was on the Browns and Josh Gordon, before he had been suspended for about two years or whatever it was, um, Josh Gordon was trying to stay sober. He had to stay off alcohol. He had alcohol problems back back then. Always. Um, Yeah. In college. And... um, there was a party that I think Manziel was either hosting or had invited um, Josh Gordon to go to, and that ended up um, getting Josh Gordon suspended for a game, which cost him a year of um, 
tendered, whatever it's called, where if you have six games played in the NFL in a year, then that counts as another year of service. But if you only have five games played, then it doesn't count as another year of service. So that changed Josh Gordon from being an unrestricted free agent to a restricted free agent, similar to what happened with the A.J. McCarron stuff with the Bengals, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, that's just one example of how Manziel's actions, Manziel wanted to go party and he wanted to drag one of his teammates along. And unfortunately for everyone involved, he happened to pick the one teammate that was the most susceptible to alcohol, but also the one teammate that out of everyone on the Browns, he should not have been talking to about going to a party and drinking. Someone else with issues as well. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I'm excited to see him back because of what he, the potential that he has to do on the field. I loved him off the field. I was in college when he was in college and it was awesome. And I loved it. And it seemed like everything I wanted to watch on and off the field but now he's older, we're all older, he's supposed to come in and, you know, he's already supposed, Lead to, be a franchise. He's supposed to be entering the prime of his career and right now he's now starting his career. So it's a big... Restarting. Yeah, restarting his career, but it's starting in another, uh, nonetheless. So for him, it's a big uphill battle, but I'm excited to see it. Um, so another couple of facts uh, about the Spring League for people that aren't as familiar. Um, the 10 NFL teams attended the inaugural season... Uh, last year the median age and this is an average age i know we were speaking about this the three of us before the podcast uh, podcast is interesting that they use the median age instead of an average but it's 24 is the median age of course um who knows how many players are slightly on the older side or slightly on the younger side but it doesn't so matter for for anyone who never cared about math <laughs> School, the difference between using a median age or an average or mean age is average is taking the total age of everyone and dividing it by how many people are there. So if there's 40 different people there and the average age is, I don't know, 400, 400 divided by 40, that would be 10. So obviously that's not the average, but median age is just whatever the middle age is. So if there's right. 41 people playing in it, you're going to take whatever the age is of the 21st oldest or 21st youngest player there yeah so i mean it, it really oh i know you're uh <laughs> you struggle with that right christian so just trying to help what, you what was the third one it's the mode right <laughs> yeah yeah it's the I mode that, i hated math in school anyway, honestly so. math was my worst subject <laughs> as well so we're gonna get off math before this podcast <laughs> we're gonna mess it up it's but uh yeah so bad. let's just go that let's just use 24 as a number for people who want to envision how old these players are that are trying to come back to the nfl since most of these players were previously on some sort of nfl roster they're 24 years old average um for that i really don't it's hard to tell. Well, it's intriguing yeah, because yeah. if you think a lot of players are going to be around it's, 23, be 24, 25. Yeah, that's a lot of players that just a few years ago were stars in college. Right. So it's people that are going to be recognizable for the general public, most of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's something that could definitely be exciting and get some people watching. And for the general public and watching, uh, this, it's on Facebook Live. I don't know if they have plans to televise it for this year or for any years coming but for now, it's if it gets enough ratings, they'll probably put it on TV. Probably, and ESPN's just the prime spot for that. It's some, one of the ESPNs. On, so ESPN, yeah, ESPN seventeen will put that on for them. But <laughs> last last year, there was sixty thousand plus single game viewers on Facebook Live. So every game, about sixty thousand people were tuning in. So it's got a crowd, and it's only going to get higher with Johnny Menzel in it, and it's going to bring a lot of attention to a lot of other players in this league who people might not have yeah. been paying attention to. 
Um, and 22 teams last year requested film from the Spring League. So even though 10 NFL teams attended the inaugural season, 22 teams requested film. So at least, you know, 22 of the teams were interested in what they were doing and took it seriously enough to ask for film and to evaluate some of these players, even though a year is not even under their belt yet. So now within an entire another year, I expect every team in the league to ask for film. And we know that we've already heard reported 20 plus teams are, you know, expected to attend Johnny Menzel alone. So I'm sure that all teams will be interested in this, but you know, we'll be moving on from this subject, but I'm just glad to talk about Johnny Menzel again and not with bad, you know, bad yeah, context. So, so. Something to look forward to. Yeah, something to look forward to for any Johnny, Johnny Menzel fans, and I'm excited for his NFL comeback. fans. Yeah, I mean, NFL fans, and I'm excited for the Texas Spring League. I'm actually going to be paying attention to it this year. So um, thank you, Johnny Menzel, for putting that on the map, and thank you, NFL, for bringing that into uh, the world. I think that's a really cool cool league that they're doing. It's just how the NBA is trying to have another league like LeVar Ball and other options for players to go. You know, yeah. Spring League. Just yeah, very interesting. So let's move on to the. Oh, Christian, did you have something to add? No, I was just going to say if, if they can get it televised, that if, if a football in spring, a competitive football league in spring is very watchable. I know I'm fiending to watch some football right I mean, now I'm watching, every single uh, Sunday. I'm watching curling for the, <laughs> Olympics, for the Olympics when that's on. Yeah. So I'd yeah. love to see so. this on TV. Let's move on to another player that has a slightly troubled past as well, uh, besides Johnny Menzel. It's a current player in the NFL, 49ers Ruben Foster. Um, he was arrested for domestic violence, and that's his second arrest in the last month. So I'm going to let Corbin run with this one at first, but definitely not good news for Ruben Foster. Yeah, well, Ruben Foster, I remember when he was going into the NFL draft combine last year, there were concerns about um, his character. That's why he. That's why up, he fell. He to fell the 49ers to yeah. I think at, at number thirty. I don't know if they traded back up for him because I remember Ruben Foster was someone the 49ers really liked, and their uh, GM. He was quoted as saying that they were thinking about selecting him with the number three overall pick. So to get him all the way down at thirty, look talent standpoint, he has as much talent as you could look for in a linebacker coming out of college, mm -hmm. but. Character issues, obviously they were concerned back there. Obviously still a concern now. Those two arrests in the last month, that's something that's pretty scary moving well, forward. For someone who's supposed, supposed to be your starting middle linebacker for the next 10 it's years. It's something that's going to turn into a suspension, which is going to be. It's two arrests It might be even month. more than it's that, though. Than domestic that. violence and what's been happening well, with the NFL. Just, and another point we have here really quick, Christian, before you add your opinion. The police, the NFL, and the 49ers are all doing their due diligence with this, and it's going to be a long investigation. They're going to be really taking time to look into this situation and probably the other situation that happened for his other arrest that happened earlier in the month. So definitely not good, good news for Ruben Foster, and they're going to really take their time to investigate this. And what we saw with, of course, Ezekiel Elliott, John Brown, a lot of players that have had issues with this and how the NFL is um, punishing that now, uh, it's going to be pretty bad for Ruben Foster when this long investigation is finished. Uh, McGowan, what do you think about this? I don't know, it just, it, it really reminded me of, like, the Alden Smith situation, not, like, specifically what he did, but, like, a 49er linebacker acting up, and I really hope that they don't mishandle this or have another Alden Smith on their hands. Yeah, I mean, another former 49ers players, so, the 49ers don't have a problem taking players that have potential trouble, but it's almost, it's not as bad as the Cowboys, who will take anybody with the chance that... <laughs> 
they will be moving on to a better life. But I mean, it's Randy not a bad. Gregory. It's not. It's not an awful tactic if you're going to give ten players a chance to prove that yeah, they're well, past some it. Hit. I mean, a couple of them. The Rams with yeah. Janoris Jenkins. Yeah. They had. I think he was selected in either the second or third round. They had like three picks in that round, and they just decided yeah. he had originally been at Florida. I think he had to go to was it South Alabama, um, <laughs> but he had all the skills in the world, all the traits right. you look for, measurable traits from a player coming out of college, and he's had a really good career. He's, for the most part, stayed out of trouble. But Reuben Foster, even talking about the draft combine, he was dismissed from the draft combine because of a run he had with someone while he was there. It so was a personal... Yeah, I mean, those are happened. concerns that... The medical that, staff. That's, yeah, the medical staff. Thank you, Christian. And that's... If there's one place where you need to be on your best behavior to show to scouts that you're worth the risk, especially taking anyone in the first round, taking anyone in the NFL draft, there's some sort of risk associated to it. Obviously, first round, much higher risk than seventh round, so that's why, for the most part, first rounders are people where their character is pretty excellent. But for him, the one place where you do not want to screw up and for him to get dismissed, that just shows right there, even before he came into the NFL, he just didn't get it. Yeah, and domestic violence is, of course, the biggest issue around the league right now, and they're taking it extremely seriously, as we saw with Ezekiel Elliott last year, and how weird and drawn out that entire thing was. But even John Brown, the kicker for, or former kicker for the Giants, he had an issue as well. So, Reuben Foster, they're going to do their due diligence with a long investigation for this one. Wanted to bring this up. It's not a tough subject to talk about. And even for the 49ers, though, even if he doesn't play this year, you definitely don't regret drafting him where you did because that's a talent that's undeniable and a guy that you took mm. way, way, way past where he was in any mock draft, even with his character issues. If he struggles to get back in the league, you probably regret taking him. At right. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about right now, though. The 49ers, they, of course, are concerned, but this isn't a guy that they invested a top 10 pick in. This was a guy they were blessed that fell into their lap at the end and really helped them cap off a great draft for them last year. Uh, we're going to move on to the next subject, and uh, it's the Colts, who, of course, didn't have the best luck in previous weeks. And on our last podcast, we were talking about Josh McDaniels and how he <laughs> really put them to the second of the pen, putting uh, his signature to the paper and backed out. He even had coaches that were joining his coaching staff already signed. So really, he backed out, but the Colts stayed calm. I know that their general manager and owner both uh, made quotes about how it's about how you handle a situation. Things happen. They handled it very well, very calmly, and they hired a new head coach, uh, former Philly offensive coordinator, uh, Frank Wright. So I want to hear, Christian, your opinion of the former champion offensive coordinator who just earned himself a Oh, sorry. It's the current champion. Sorry, I meant for the last year. The prior years. Apologies on that. He had a big year for him last year, obviously. And I want to hear your opinion on him earning himself a head coaching gig. I really like it. All the reports uh, from uh, Philly is that he's a great guy. I mean, he's very deserving of this. Uh, It checks the box of getting an offensive-minded coach. So um, I think it might affect their draft pick a little bit. We need to redo our mocks now uh, with this information. But <laughs> with AJ um, McCarron and a bunch of stuff too, that all is gonna, oh yeah, that, all of it's going to affect the, them. All. A lot of things, and, and they're going to change from the, the combine and everything. But I think they they did really well. They got the the next man up in terms of the 
coaching carousel who would fit what they needed and uh, it's a total home run for them so i hope that this is a, a good fit ultimately you can't like judge how this is going to be from right now but i think it's a good fit hopefully andrew luck's arm uh shoulder area is all right and he can come back and uh now that's that's the big that's the biggest concern for a new head coach going over there. It's their quarterback position. They're going to build players around that, and they have a defense that was playing better as of late uh, in the end of the year last year. But still, the offense is a serious concern. Frank Gore is old. Uh, they don't have a ton of running back depth behind him. That Marlon Mack is uh, okay. Marlon Mack yeah. is okay, but that's not a starting caliber running back for them. They need to head in a different direction and. Building around Andrew Luck, they were immediately a playoff team. You saw the effect that he had. The only issue with Andrew Luck coming into the league was his concussions and his injuries. And, of course, that's what's affecting him now. But the Colts have a new head coach, a new way of life there, and hopefully Andrew Luck comes back to that. If not, maybe he finds success with Brissett or another quarterback due to his success with Nick Foles and seeing how it didn't matter who his at the helm for the Eagles last year, he had a way of making that offense work. And it was never a question of them putting up points because it didn't matter of the running back either because Ajayi came in and they were even playing Corey Clement and down to, you know, their depth was a lot lower with Wendell Smallwood going down and a lot of things throughout the, the league throughout this last year. And he did a fine, fine, fine job keeping that offense up top. And they won a Super Bowl and he was a huge part of that. So congratulations to him. Congratulations to the Colts for changing their misfortune and finding a replacement for who they originally thought was going to be their head coach, Josh McDaniels, and he backed out. We all think he's going to be the future head coach for the Patriots, or else why do do that? But another Colts topic I wanted to quickly move on to, and something that I love talking about here, uh, Colts owner Jim Ursay um, put together a $25,000 gift to form, uh, to form the Edwin Jackson Memorial Scholarship awarded to a qualified student applicant every year in honor of Edwin Jackson, who, of course, died. We spoke last on the podcast. Yeah. Just an awful, awful, awful topic to talk about. It was the Sunday of Super Bowl that morning. But something to shed light on this situation, Colts owner Jim say just an awesome guy, $25,000 scholarship. I'm sure it's going to have more details to apply to Edwin Jackson for this specific scholarship that we don't know too many details on yet, but wanted to bring that up while we were talking about the Colts guys. And Yeah, it's just nice to see some, beautiful thing something to do. good. Yeah, a great gesture by Jim Ursay, and just nice to see something good coming out of such a tragic situation. Of course, and it's obviously so hard to move on from those kind of topics always, but with this kind of topic and Jim Ursay making it a little bit easier to move on today, Uh, But let's move on to someone that we've already mentioned his name twice on this podcast and kept mentioning that we talk about him a little bit later. Let's talk about A.J. McCarron, guys. Yeah, A.J. McCarron. So he filed a grievance with the NFL. There was a dispute about whether he'd be a restricted free agent or an unrestricted free agent. So McCarron spent last year as a backup for the Cincinnati Bengals behind Andy Dalton. At the trade deadline, there was a trade that was almost completed that would have sent Andy Dalton to the Cleveland Browns, but unfortunately right, AJ, AJ for him... McCarron to the Cleveland Browns, not Andy Dalton. Or, yeah, did I say but, Dalton? Yeah, you actually yeah. said but, but on that one... I they wish know, it was Andy Dalton. They, <laughs> they did complete that trade. It was completed literally within one minute of the trade deadline, it and was, they were celebrating this trade and missed putting in their end of the trade. The Bengals had their end in. 
the league was ready to approve it. They missed it by a few minutes. They put it in a complete um, – they completely disputed it, and we're talking, trying to figure out a loophole and a way around this to still get this approved, and the league did not let it happen. So that's going to really easily segue. That, well, that, that hurt the Bengals a lot because they got, what did they get, a second rounder or two well, exactly. second rounders? They, they get nothing in return. That segues right into me saying that A.J. McCarron will be a part of the Cleveland Browns this year, and that's so, my opinion. Re- yeah, uh, re- yeah, really quickly, though, so the grievance that was filed, the reason why it was filed in the first place, whether and the debate about whether McCarron was a restricted or unrestricted free agent, is one of his years when he was under contract with the Bengals. And again, we brought this up talking about Josh Gordon and Johnny Manziel. In order to have a service year tenured in the NFL, you have to play at least six games. AJ McCarron played five games, I believe it was his rookie year in the NFL. And the reason for that is that he was listed on the Bengals injury report for one game where he claimed that he was perfectly fine and he had been injured, so he had been on the injury report and the Bengals just kept him on there once he was healthy instead of taking him off. Even if he didn't play in the game, he was just in uniform, dressed for the game, it would have counted. So that was his grievance that he filed saying that he was fine, he should have been in uniform. So he won that grievance. So that's why he's a free agent, just wanted to make sure Everyone knew exactly what was going on. And that's that. huge for him because there isn't a super deep quarterback class this year. Of no, course, Kirk, Kirk Cousins highlights that. But besides him, there is no other potential starting quarterback in this free agent class unless Case Keenum or any of those Viking quarter, or quarterbacks get to go to free agency. And then you can make the debate that they're starting quarterbacks. But there's no for sure starting quarterback going out there right now. Besides, Kirk Cousins and A.J. McCarron would be the second. And he's still, of course, not for sure. He's got the talent, though. And the Browns made that trade this year because they wanted him to be the quarterback of the future. He's going to start They literally missed it by one minute for celebrating how happy they were on this on this trade, this was wasn't so the, Browns. It, it was it, so Browns. It's, it's, no, that was the Bengals' fault. Not even no, it was the Browns', fault. No, it was the Browns no, fault. Oh, no, definitely not. The Bengals put no. in their part of this trade. Oh, okay. They got rid of McCarron and they got something for him. So that's why you brought up the fact that this sucks for the Bengals because they get nothing in return for him. They had something in return for him. They were going to get a second and a third round pick, which is such time. a just like you said, Christian, such a Browns thing to do, ruining <laughs> not just their their fortunes, ruining the Bengals. Now the Bengals don't get anything for him, and I mean, I still think he's going to end up in Cleveland. It would have been the first pick in the second round, first pick in the third. No, at hundred percent, it's just such a Browns thing. I to know do. it's just amazing that they would offer that much for a backup quarterback that hasn't proven anything and. Wasn't the high pick in the first place. So let's talk. That's about what happens it. when you're desperate. That's so what happens. I'm going to ask you guys both. Where do you think he's going to go? Just off your personal opinion, and which makes the most sense, Christian? Um, let's start with you. I don't think it's the the Browns. I think the, I think you're thinking it's the Browns because they had a trade in place, and that's not AJ McCarron's doing. That's the the GMs of both teams. So that's a, I that's feel a like huge he's, part of it, of course. So I think he's going to go to the best opportunity. If that is the Browns, then that's going to be it. So he's, I think he's going to let Kirk Cousin play his hand, and then AJ is going to play his. Yeah, it's in just, terms a, of it's just the fact, like what Corbin said, he hasn't proven himself. So it's not like he has his pick of the litter. He needs to go to a place where he has the opportunity to play, and they need yeah. a quarterback where they yeah. need to win. And games. if he goes to the Browns, he could kill his career before it even starts. Exactly. And I think that's an actuality that quarterbacks are now starting to realize that if you you could be Robert Griffin you could go 
If Robert Griffin went to another team and didn't suck, he could still be in the NFL. But it's because he sucked with the Redskins, and then his rebound was the Browns. And he when you when you kill when you suck with the Browns, you're done. I'm pretty you're, sure Robert Griffin the third was responsible for the Browns' last <laughs> win. So let's just bring that up. Who knows how long ago that true. was? Who knows how long ago that was? But I still think he was the last quarterback. Yes, no. Someone, uh, someone commented on his uh, Instagram post. Why am I still following Robert Griffin? And he actually commented back because I was responsible for your team's last win. <laughs> so the, you are right, Perry. He is the the quarterback responsible for yeah, the Christian. Browns. What you spoke about with him, he shouldn't be going somewhere where will kill his career. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that he needs to go to a place. He can't just take whatever team is going to give him the most money. He needs to be smart about this because. He isn't a surefire thing, depending on what the contract is. I mean, it might be something maybe similar to what we saw with Mike Lennon last year. I think Mike Lennon maybe is a comparable type of player. Last year he got a three-year, $45 million deal from the Bears, but very little of it was guaranteed. And we saw, I mean, the Browns kind of screwed Mike Lennon over with trading up and getting uh, Trubisky with the oh, number the Bears, two overall yeah, yeah. pick. Yeah. But Bears, I yeah. think that that's probably a similar type of contract to what we could see with McCarron. Maybe a team gets really desperate just because there is such a weak quarterback class in free agency. But McCarron's got to be smart. I don't think it makes any sense. No matter how much the Browns offer him, he should not be going to Cleveland because if he screws up there and just looks horrible, who's going to sign him? I think the Cardinals make some sense if they strike out on Kirk Cousins and want to go with A.J. McCarron, even if they do get a quarterback like uh, Baker Mayfield in the, or Josh Allen in the draft. Hopefully. Josh Allen especially, that would make the most sense. You play A.J. McCarron for a year, maybe two, depending on how Josh Allen progresses. Talked about him before, how Josh Allen has all the skills in the world, all the measurables that you'd look for in a quarterback, but he's just so raw. Sit him behind A.J. McCarron for a year, maybe two, and then you probably transition on from that. But if you're A.J. McCarron, you get two years in Arizona, which has a good good core around him offensively as far as receivers and everything goes. Running could, back. A new head coach. Yeah, and a great running back. People forget. Who could be a receiver, depending on how you view right, him. People forget all about David Johnson just because of his wrist injury well, last year. I don't forget because yeah. I chose him number one overall in our fantasy league, and he went down first game. So I definitely don't forget. But I lived in Arizona before. I was there for the emergence of David Johnson. I was there for all the hype in the state. Everyone believes in him, and he's their messiah for that team. And him going down last year was a huge, huge hit to that offense and a really sad way for Carson Palmer to go out because it would have been a really exciting offense with how Carson Palmer still can throw the ball with a good running back behind him. They had Kerwin Williams and, you know, Penny going behind him, and they just weren't – they're not number one quarter uh, running backs, and it just it was a very one-dimensional offense, and – Fitzgerald. But they have great defense, and, too. Yeah, and Fitzgerald yeah. was the only bright spot for that entire offense last year. And A.J. McCarron would be an interesting fit there. Uh, what about uh, – what's your ideal spot? What about the Vikings? What do you guys think about him to the Vikings? I because they have an amazing defense, and I feel like that would be the easiest transition for him with what you guys are saying about him not ruining his career right away because you saw how a guy like Case Keenum, even Bradford, was able to play with that team and succeed. Of course, they have a good a good offense around, those, around the quarterback, an amazing defense, and a very good coaching staff. So that could make a lot of sense for him because it would take a ton of pressure off him. So, uh, Corbin, what do you think about the Vikings? 
I think in an ideal situation, it makes the most sense, but it's just from the Vikings' perspective, that's not the ideal situation. Why are you going to go out and try to bid against other players who or other teams on a backup quarterback who maybe he will do enough for you? He's not going to be like some superstar on the Vikings, but they have three quarterbacks who are all borderline starter. I'd argue Case Keenum is probably going to be a starter next year. I think, but I just don't get why. If you have three quarterbacks that are arguably, you could make a case that all three of the quarterbacks the Vikings currently have are better than A.J. McCarron. So why let them all go? Right? I mean, you could make a case that all three of them are better. Because he's coming off an injury. What was that, Christian? Uh, Teddy Bridgewater would be in question because he's coming off of an injury. You don't even know if he okay. can play quarterback I, right now. I'll agree with you on that, so I'll give you that. But still, Sam Bradford and Case Keenum, you could make a really good case that they're better than A.J. McCarron. So I don't see why. I agree it makes a ton of sense on A.J. McCarron's part, but from the Vikings' perspective, I don't see why you let Bradford and Keenum walk just to probably end up overpaying for A.J. McCarron. Christian, what do you think, if you're Christian? the Vikings, do you sign Case Keenum or go after no. McCarron? What would you rather no. do? I think for A.J. McCarron, the best place places for him would be Denver and Minnesota, but it, like Corbin said, it wouldn't be the best for those franchises for him to go there. Right. Yeah, I think. I mean, the Broncos, we all agree they make so much sense for Kirk Cousins. There's a report that the Jets are going to offer him basically everything they have to He's to get him. He's not going to the Jets. He wants to well, win. Well, it depends yeah. if he wants to. If he, he only cares win. about money, then yeah. But Have you seen Kirk Cousins play? He might be the most competitive person in the league right now. That dude comes out of the field. He has who that is. Is literally his. Uh, he has all these. Um, or no, what was it? Sorry, you like that. Sorry, sorry. You, you like, like that. that. You like you that. You like that. Yeah, you like that. And it's like it, you see it. I see yeah. it when he plays. I, I even saw a quote from his wife about how he is on certain games and how he acts at home. This was last season. That's why I can't pull it up right now. I just remember seeing it and thinking how interesting it was and how his demeanor changes at home. He takes this so seriously, and not that he's not always preparing, and he's not always has the eye of the tiger. But he says on, she says on certain games that are extra special or just a very hard game, he's another level at home kind of thing. Even during daily life, he's just locked in to where you can still see that his mind is just completely going. And she also said when it counts, he's at his best. When his back's up against the wall, and you have two minutes to go, and you need a touchdown. Kirk Cousins is your guy to go to. And I know that he hasn't been able to showcase that as much because of the awful talent that they've surrounded him with in Washington and how many injuries they've had to deal with there. Even with their offensive line, they can't keep him protected. So he can't. that's part of the problem right there. He can't even have an opportunity to have time. But, of course, he's the only reason why that team even put up wins last year. So seeing him on a team that has, imagine the Vikings – or even the Broncos with the receiving core they both have, Adam Thielen and Diggs, or even Emmanuel Sanders and Thomas, the, both of those guys would make Kirk Cousins look like the quarterback that he is. And Imagine adding, or even the Broncos, they have three different running backs that can start on that team. And C.J. Anderson's, of course, carved out such a role for him on that team as a reliable back behind the quarterback. And you saw that with the playoff win for Peyton Manning, that was all because of C.J. Anderson's run. But and of course Von Miller and Demarcus Ware's defense, but yeah, Broncos and Vikings make the most sense for Kirk Cousins. I think it makes the most sense for the complete opposite reason why that would make sense for McCarron because McCarron, of course, 
it'd make the most sense for him and having the easiest transition into becoming an NFL quarterback and having the best surrounding teams around him. But for Kirk Cousins, that just gives him the chance to win. And I think that's something that he hasn't done and he hasn't been appreciated. And I think that Kirk Cousins is going to break the bank and take a team into the playoffs this year, whoever that may be. And I think he's he's not going to make his road to the playoffs hard by joining the Jets. He's, he deserves a franchise that will call him Kirk and not Kurt in a press conference. <laughs> like, a place that will get it. That is egregious. I'm sorry. When I heard that, I was like, oh, he's out. <laughs> wow. He's gone. He wants to be out of there. So, yeah, just bottom line, Agent McCarron being a uh, free agent is huge news because, just like we talked about Kirk Cousins again now, he's really the only name that makes any waves in this free agent class for quarterbacks. But we'll move on from Agent McCarron, who, of course, has a lot of proving to do, but has an opportunity to break the bank. Just like you said, Mike Lennon, very similar situation. Uh, let's move on to a player that plays in Arizona, another option we were talking about with Agent McCarron, uh, someone he might be able to throw to, Larry Fitzgerald, who might, who is one of the best receivers of all time. Yeah. And, of course, me, who used to live in Arizona for a little bit, another name that people cherish in that state. So let's talk about him coming back for the 2018 season, letting the Arizona Cardinals know that this past week. So let's hear your guys' reaction on Larry Fitzgerald's return. It's- it's great to see that he's coming back. I mean, you keep thinking, okay, this is the year where he's going to drop off. And, yeah, he's not the Larry Fitzgerald from their Super Bowl year back in, what was it, '09 or 2010. But he still puts up really good numbers. He's still someone who definitely has a big spot in this league and someone who can contribute to a team and help them make a push for the playoffs. Uh, it's I mean, great he, to he see can, he's back. Yeah, I mean, he caught 109 passes last year for yeah. <laughs> 1,156 yards, over 10 yards average per catch, and six touchdowns. He's not slowing down at all. In 2016, he had 107 catches, two less than last year, both over 100, and oh, and cleared a thousand yards again and had six touchdowns again, which was pretty much a duplicate season except better this last season. So what? When is he going to slow? It's just like Tom Brady. Like how old can you go? But of course, Larry Fitzgerald is 34. He's not 40, but still. Well, he's playing a different position yeah. where you wear down. But also, the thing that's impressive is he got what was it 109 passes last year, and you look at. The player that he had throwing him the football yeah, was Carson Palmer before he got injured. Who, then knew? Yeah, who knew he was going to throw? I remember to uh, still get 109 passes. That's incredible. Right. I mean, it, it's a testament to him and his consistency. It doesn't matter who's throwing him the ball. It can be you know Uncle Rico, and it's going <laughs> to get there, and he's going to catch it. And that's just I'm excited to see him coming back. It's going to help them a lot. They are very excited about the receivers that they have on that roster already. John Brown, J.J. Nelson, a lot of these speed guys. But they don't have a guy like Larry Fitzgerald, a possession receiver, who now is converted to a slot receiver and is finding some of the best success of his career at that position and why his career is ex- extending more than everybody expected. But he's a big reason why Carson Palmer was still playing up to last season, all because of Larry Fitzgerald and the fact that he was able to continually put up those numbers. And no matter when Carson Palmer was in, he knew he had old reliable, just like the Cowboys have always had with Jason Witten or the Falcons had with Gonzalez or anyone like that with the, you know, the Chargers with Antonio Gates. He's their guy, and he's a receiver, not even a tight end who has pretty sure hands. He's a guy that you throw the ball to, he's going to catch it. And I think he's the best part is that he's going to mentor these young receivers. And I know that they're going to bring in 
a guy to in the first three rounds they're going to be going after a receiver because receiver is definitely a, a need for them that they're looking past this year for Fitzgerald, of course. And when you lose Fitzgerald, those young guys on the team right now, they're good behind Fitzgerald. They're good develop, developmental players, but none of them are clear number one, not even a chance. So you need to address this in the draft and have Larry Fitzgerald spend his twilight year who knows if it's a, sorry, Twilight year. What am I talking about? Have him <laughs> end of his prestigious career that's going to continually stay at an average of 108 receiving catches a year. Like. like, so yeah, let's, guys, that's really all we have to talk about for Larry Fitzgerald. But um, just besides, like, let's bring up some stats for him really quick. He needs 390 receiving yards next year to pass Terrell Owens for second most all time. We brought up Terrell Owens in a previous podcast and the amazing numbers he was able to put up in his career. Let's talk about a player still playing. He's going to pass Terrell Owens for second of all time if he continues to play the way that he's playing, uh, bearing injury injury or anything like that. He's going to pass that easily, and he needs 93 catches to pass Tony Gonzalez for second most all time in receptions. He's caught 107 and 109 passes the last few years. I don't think 93 is going to be a problem for him, barring injury. The only thing with that 93 catches, even if he isn't injured, I don't think it's completely – I think there's a stronger chance than we would initially think that he might not get those 93 catches. Well, he does. Well, he has though. a new coach coming in, so he's going to have a different playbook. And then new also – Yeah, new quarterback, so we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I would still put my money on him getting 93 yards – I mean, if 93 catches. If we were catches, talking but, last season, some point in the season, I would be saying the same thing as you. But seeing the fact – I know I had him on my fantasy team as well – I traded him at the end of the year in a good trade, but I mainly did that and looked at him as expendable because of the guys, because of their quarterback issue and the injuries that they had, and who knew was going to be throwing the ball that week. But it didn't matter. I still regretted that decision so heavily every single week because he would be putting up the same numbers, 10 receptions, 100 yards, 90 yards, a touchdown. It's crazy numbers, and it showed me that it didn't matter who was the quarterback. He was the constant factor there in Arizona. So going into next season... They're not going to get a, some scrub to go start there. It's They've already had Gabber and these guys playing on the team. They don't need a Gabber-quality guy or Skelton or any of these guys. They need to, they're need to. they going to be looking for the quarterback of the future because they're not just chilling because Carson Palmer just retired. They're definitely in freakout mode, and they know they don't have the quarterback for the future there. So that's why we all think that they're going to be making a move in the draft for that. But Larry Fitzgerald, like it or not, it doesn't matter who's throwing the ball. Just like I said, Uncle Rico, if he can throw a wobbly pass within five feet of Larry Fitzgerald, It's pretty. he's shown that it's pretty sure he's going to catch that. So I, I think he's going to be breaking both those records next year. That's second most all-time for catches, second most all-time for receiving yards if he passes both of them next year. So that's just amazing numbers, and congratulations to him for staying healthy and coming back to this for this next year. And it's huge for the Arizona Cardinals who, if they lost him with Carson Palmer, really would be looking at – possibly the worst record in the NFL this year, in my opinion. Their defense yeah. is good, but it's nothing like it used to be. Uh, but yeah, Larry Fitzgerald coming back is huge for that locker room mainly. Well, yeah, I mean, their offense is just so anemic without Fitzgerald. It's, yeah, I agree with you. So let's move on to the next topic, which is Bill Polian. He made statements on ESPN saying that Lamar Jackson is too short to play quarterback and should be a wide receiver. That's... There's definitely people that agree that Lamar Jackson shouldn't play quarterback and should be receiver, but not because he's too short. He's listed at six foot three, so that's not the issue. The issue with him mainly is his accuracy. Uh, so I want to hear from both of you 
What do you guys think Lamar Jackson should be doing in the NFL? Do you think he should be playing quarterback or wide receiver? Christian, I'll start with you. Um, I think he should definitely be playing wide receiver while also being either like the backup quarterback or like the third string quarterback. Um, you can also do a Terrell Pryor approach and put him at like a, like a wildcat quarterback. He still throws a couple passes, but ultimately, I mean, I hope he proves me wrong and he's a Michael Vick. He's the next Michael Vick. He's a franchise quarterback, but I think realistically he is going to be like a, we talked about uh, Tavon Austin where he, uh, he might get a couple carries at running back. He's going to catch you some passes at, uh, wide receiver, maybe more of a Tavon Austin when he was at West Virginia, but um, you know, he's going to get you the carry, some carries, he's going to catch the passes, and um, he'll just be that specialty utility player um, that will be really clutch to have on your team, but I don't see him being a franchise quarterback. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he is a star, but um, that's just where, where I see him playing uh, is okay. not at quarterback. I don't, see, I don't see him not taking snaps. I could see him taking snaps and either running and throwing a couple passes, but not any capacity as a franchise quarterback. Perry, Perry, what do you think? In the modern NFL, that makes sense, Christian, because they do use players unconventionally nowadays. And always, for me, I know you guys hate this analogy that I'm using, but his role that you're talking about is so similar to Denard Robinson a few years back, quarterback coming out of Michigan, who had such a good college career numbers-wise, but of course had a ton of concerns for him being NFL-ready as a quarterback or ever being NFL-ready. And he came in as exactly what you're talking about, a combo guy. It was, I think he might have been the first guy that was listed as something different on the depth chart. I totally forgot what it was. It, it was something with combo or special or something like that, but... It was just like how college colleges go and recruit athletes, like you said, Christian. In a previous yeah, there's class. there's a whole for people who don't know, like uh, there's when you get recruited, there's every position class you can think of, even kicker, um, and then there's athlete. It's like its own position. You get ranked like USC signed the number one athlete in the class. He's the thirteenth player, the number one athlete. So uh, I think that Lamar. I hope to God they put athlete instead of quarterback on draft day. I would, I would love it. I think that would be a cool nod. But that'd be really cute. cool. Of course, um, I love the fact that he has a chance to show that he can be a quarterback, but has the option to become a receiver. A lot of quarterbacks coming out of college, Tim Tebow, any of these guys, everyone was saying, "Yo, you need to become a tight end or a receiver." Those are really the two. Um, positions that make the most sense, just like you said earlier, Christian, for a quarterback to transition into. Of course, being running back, you need to have a certain build, and it's a little bit tougher position to transition. But of it's course, a different mentality. Of course, that's different. Of course, you can still transition to that. It's another skill position. But receiver or tight end, it's you have a very Lamar, Lamar Jackson's not no exactly. It can't be a tight end, but of course, I'm just no. saying quarterbacks have a very route running mind, and it's they can think like a quarterback. So it definitely translates as long as they have hands. But what I was saying before, Denard Robinson's a very good analogy, and I know that Lamar Jackson's a lot more talented and has a lot more upside than I think Robinson had. But it reminds me so much of each other with what he can do if he decides to go that approach. And it's funny that we're even talking about this because I know I don't think Corbin had him in the first round of his mock draft, but I know no, that. I did. Oh, I you did too. All three of us had Jaguars. him. In. I know that. Yeah, Adam to the Bills. Yeah, I had him. At, I had him at the end as well. So I, I, he made all three of our mock drafts round one as a quarterback, and we're having this conversation. So I don't think he's going to convert. I think he should play quarterback. I know you think receiver, Christian. 
Well, I'm saying he'll ultimately convert. With a 20-year-old man's pride, there's no way he's going to do it now. Well, you, don't want, gonna... you don't want to convert, of course, and then you want to give it a shot. But right now, his best chance would be converting right now. Well, Christian, I think you were saying earlier before the podcast started that you have a friend who used to play with him, right? Yes, I have a friend. His name's Linwood Foy. He plays offensive line for... Uh, for Louisville, he had talked about that Lamar Jackson had at least acknowledged the fact that that might be a possibility in his life that he will have to switch positions. Not saying that he didn't say that that's what he wants to do. He just said he at least acknowledges that that's a, in the realm of possibilities. Right, and it's interesting and probably good for Lamar Jackson's long-term career to hear that he's at least open to doing that. He's not someone who's just I have to play quarterback. Uh, with Lamar Jackson, it's interesting that you compare him to Denard Robinson, Perry. The difference between the two for me, one is just Lamar Jackson's athleticism is on a completely different level than Denard Robinson's, and also just the arm talent. Lamar Jackson has an incredibly strong arm. Denard yes. Robinson did not have a strong arm at all. And I think, and I think as oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but as a runner, I think Denard Robinson is more of a bruiser in the way that he runs than Lamar Jackson, and that's why he like, was used at running back a little right. bit more. And that's why yeah. it definitely contradicts what I was kind of saying about converting to a receiver or a tight end, but also backs up the fact that running back is still a possibility for a quarterback because it is still yeah. A yeah I mean, Lamar Jackson, running back's not the right position to transition him to. I completely agree. Yeah. If he doesn't work out at quarterback, then wide receiver's the route to go. But if he was Running back again, kind of back into a Tavon Austin type role where he's like a scat back, change of pace type yeah, back. Where, taking six carries, seven right. carries max a game. And more just throwing it to him out of the backfield on the check down or running back screens and just trying to get him out in the open. But with Lamar Jackson, I think absolutely you draft him to try to make it work at quarterback because the physical tools that he possesses, the speed, athleticism, elusiveness, his arm strength, he has the tools to be a franchise quarterback and the most dangerous quarterback in the NFL when you just talk about all the different ways that he can hurt you. And the, the, the accuracy on his throws is what's going to ultimately make or break it for him because he has pretty much every other tool there. Um, he has a lot of arm power. Right. I don't want people to think we're, we're criticizing his decision-making ability. and a little. I think his throwing motion is a little bit too long. I mean, you could always critique that, but... He, he has a cannon. He yeah. can really yuck that. He does. And something that Christian and I spoke about earlier this week when we were kind of doing a little bit of scouting on the draft and talking about who has the best opportunity in the pre-draft to prove themselves and really rise their draft, st- uh, draft, sorry, draft stock. But And we talked, he, you were a, he was a big name that came out of your mouth thinking that he's going to make a name for himself. If that's quarterback or receiver, you think that the pre-draft and the combine, of course, is going to help Lamar Jackson a ton. Oh, yeah, for two reasons. One, the athleticism he gets to show. And then two, the throws he makes, they're not the type of throws that you would necessarily need to have that decision-making that we're talking about. He can learn, okay, these are the 10, 15 throws that the scouts are going to ask me to throw. I can learn it. He has the arm strength to do it. I don't think I think those types of tests are going to help him rise. I don't think they're going to show his weaknesses that we're talking about. So that's so, why I think he will rise. And something that adds value to him that I don't think anyone ever talks about for practices. Let's say you uh, you know he's drafted onto a team, of course, as a quarterback or even a receiver. Doesn't matter. He's just on that team with the type of skill that he has. And you're facing the Bills the next week with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. Well, if he's he, still there, I'm, of course, this is just yeah, yeah, this yeah. scenario. Lamar Jackson's playing quarterback for your team that entire week. 
against that defense. You know that he's going to be the guy that gets to imitate these athletic quarterbacks that you have. So when you have a guy like that on your team who has the capability to play quarterback and tear up that defense, even if he isn't your starting quarterback, he, he's able to match a skill set that a lot of quarterbacks aren't able to match, and that's valuable for a team in its own. Not first-round pick valuable, though. No, of course, not for draft. I'm talking about just having him on that team if he's able yeah, to make the right. NFL, even as a running back or a receiver, it doesn't matter. He's still able to add that value to a team, and I know that a lot of teams do that with when they were facing Michael Vick or any players of that sort of caliber. They would even if it wasn't a quarterback, they would find, you know, a receiver that used to be an all American quarterback in high school who could still throw the ball but has a similar body type and a motion and a way to imitate the game a little bit more than the quarterbacks that are on your roster. So that definitely helps out. Um, for him just having you on your team, I think Lamar Jackson makes the NFL no matter what and it doesn't matter what position he decides to play. I think he'll find some success. I hope if he does receiver, it works out a little bit better than it's working out for Terrell Pryor right now. But yeah, I, I mean Pryor had a good year last year, but no, he didn't. But it, Terrell Pryor last year got sat. From, I mean, I meant yeah, two years ago. Yeah, la- last year. Yeah, but how he was utilized, he had a lot of success. I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely found a way to make that possible, converting to the position. Of course, I just haven't. We haven't seen this. He, he earned himself a contract with the Redskins, but it was a prove yourself contract that he signed, a lot of money for a year, and he really screwed that one up too. So. I honestly don't love the idea of quarterbacks converting to wide receivers, but I don't hate the idea. But I think Lamar Jackson has the skill set to stay a quarterback, and I think that the draft, our pre-draft, is going to really help him rise in the draft. Um, yeah, ultimately, you draft him as a quarterback, and if it doesn't work out, he can still be a really scary wide receiver. Yeah. So let's move on to the next topic, which is uh, Fox Sports' Peter Schrager. Uh, is quoted as saying that he heard Sonny Michel could be a top 10 pick in the NFL. I know none of us had him going in the first round of our mock draft when we spoke about it before this podcast. Perry, you were talking about how you really liked him. You think that he could be the second, or you think that he is the he, second best my, running back he's prospect. He's my second running back on my running back big board, and he is the running back out of Georgia. One you have a big board? Uh, well, we all have a big board. It would be a... Uh, one of our one of the running backs from Georgia, of course, he was a committee there last year, and that hurt. It's going to hurt his draft stock a little bit because if he was by himself, he might have had a better year than Barkley last year. But let's mm. that's that's not a conversation because of course right. it's it's we're talking right now. But so he I, is a he is a great 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 running back who can catch the ball extremely well out of the backfield. He's going to be the second running back taken off the board if it's not Darius guys. I would be shocked if he's the second running back taken. I'm going to give you guys a well, stat. Fox's Peter Schrager wouldn't be surprised if he was the I second. am shocked if he is <laughs> even a first round pick and No, I, the I reason, agree, but it's, no, it's a I, deep yeah, running back yeah. class. I just I'm going to give you guys a stat right now for Sonny Michelle for why he should not be anywhere near one of the first I don't think anywhere before the first four or five running backs taken. So in the NFL, uh, let me get to this. So Kareem Hunt last year, coming out of Toledo, he had a fumble rate of 856.0, which means that for every 856 times that he touched the football, he fumbled once. What a random number. Well, just And that skill translated as a first-year player in the NFL. He fumbled only once in 325 offensive touches. On the other end of the spectrum, the Bengals rookie Joe Mixon, coming out of Oklahoma, he had fumbling issues back in college. He put the ball on the ground every 73 offensive touches at Oklahoma. His first year in the NFL, 
he fumbled every 69.3 times he touched the ball. So now I want to tell you guys the running backs in this current class. The running back with the best fumble rate is Daryl Williams, who is Darius Geis' backup at LSU. 359.0, so every 359 times he touched the football, he fumbled once. Sonny Michelle is has the worst, the second worst fumble rate of any running back going into this draft, 54.6. So every 54, 55 times he touches the ball, he fumbles. That's not something that you can invest a first-round pick into, arguably even a second-round pick into that, because the numbers show it translates into the NFL. I just don't see how Sonny Michelle is going to be a top 10 pick. Well, let's move on to the bright side really quick of him. I just want to read a couple stats for you guys who aren't very familiar with him. And, of course, last year they have Nick Chubb on that team as well, who is a quarterback, or sorry, running back that took a lot, about half the snaps away from him, uh, even though he was playing as his backup. But Sonny Michelle is a four-year player. He's a senior. Um, last year, 14 games. He put up 1,227 rushing yards. And that's a 7.9 average per touch. Um, and he scored uh, 16 rushing touchdowns and 17 um, total touchdowns. So one receiving touchdown. And honestly, it's, it's really good numbers. And they're comparable with every single running back coming out of this class. They all hover around 1,000 yards to, 12, to 1,200. Sorry, um, And it's really just around 15 sorry, 14 to 20 touchdowns kind of thing, depending on who we're talking about. And he really fits in that the, the conversation for a top three running back out of this class. I think he's number two. Of course, I haven't dove too far into his game. Of course, with the fumbling, I know that you were talking about, Corbin, which is a big concern with a running back in the NFL, like Abdullah, who had a ton of fumbling problems at Nebraska and transitioned when he was healthy. He did fumble in uh, the beginning of his career, and it shows that that's going to be an issue that's probably going to hang over him for a while. And so maybe that might be a problem for him, but top 10 pick from what the Fox reporters, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, top, I, top 10. I just don't see how you can invest even a first, really even a second round pick in someone who, if his fumble rate stays the same at uh, 54.6, that's if you have him as a featured back. That's one fumble every two games or so, and you just can't have that out of your number one back. So, Sonny Michelle, he's got a lot of traits you look for in a running back. He has good speed, good size. He has good vision from what I've seen from him playing. It's just that fumble rate. It's so scary to me if I'm an evaluator in an NFL front office. I don't see how he even goes in the first two rounds. Uh, what do you think, Christian? Um, I want to bring up a stat that uh, when I was being recruited uh, out of junior college at Georgia Southern, they uh, you can thank the graduate assistants there. They had to fork through a lot of film. Uh, the turnover differential, if you're negative, so like if the other team has one more takeaway than you do, then this is doesn't matter about total yards. This is just your turnover differential. You're going to have a 77% chance of winning the game, regardless if you, the other team outgains you, anything. So if having him a running back is going to affect your turnover differential and minus one isn't isn't a lot to automatically put yourself at a 77 percent chance of losing so with that that with that stat that's so much concern to me top 10 is ludicrous i don't think there's a need for running back in the top 10 let alone the first round for the running back talent of him and this whole class so i don't see him being top 10 i think number four number five like you said corbin is correct 
Ronald Jones is a much better running back, in my opinion. So um, One more quote. So a quote from Peter Schrader working off this, uh, something else I saw. It says, quote, he a little bit reminds me of Alvin Kamara. I don't want to throw out those comparisons, but he's lightning to thunder, just like Kamara was lightning to Mark Ingram's thunder. Schrager said that was Monday, and he said, I really like Sonny Michelle. I think he goes as high as top 10. So that was the full quote from him, and he threw out a comparison to Kamara, who had an amazing year last year and is one of the most exciting running backs to watch in the entire league now. And so big comparison, but of course, like you said, fumbling is going to have to be what he works on. But the skills are there. The size is there. The skill set for him is he has it. It's just a matter of can he hold on to the ball and do teams look past that problem? And how early do you go and pick him? I know for you, Corbin, would you invest a third-round pick? And I know we haven't dove too far into going into these guys, but it is an yeah. extremely deep running back class, too. So some of these guys would be going deeper this year than they would in other years where it would be a little bit weaker. Uh, Christian, do you put in a t- uh, round one, two, or three on him? I think three, to be honest. I know you said this is a deep class. I don't think it's as deep running back-wise in terms of talent last as opposed to last year um, with uh, – Leonard Fournette and uh, Christian McCaffrey. Right, Do you want to consider top, McCaffrey? This is deep, I'm talking deep about the top end talent is what right. I'm talking about. But with the fumbling number three, uh, third round, um, uh, I think that Saquon Barkley is going to go number uh, the first running back off the board. I think Darius Geis. I don't even think Darius Geis goes first round. I think he's going to be a top second round pick, in my opinion. I think Ronald Jones goes mid second round. So I don't see. Um, I don't see him getting. If he is the fourth running back, I don't see even the fourth running back being taken till the third round. That Alvin Kamara uh, comparison is, I think that's a little funny to me. Yeah, I mean, I, who knows, of course, but for, I, yeah. for, for him, he has a chance to prove himself going into the combine, but you can't really showcase fumbling problems at the yeah. combine. You know? Yeah, I think third round, I wouldn't say the team is like stupid for picking him in the third round, but... Still, even third round, I think that's maybe just a little bit too I, high. I think you, you need talk to about pass fumbling a little bit more than you well, are. Though, no, I, his, his numbers there. Fumbles, fumbles. That's no a fumbles big are thing, a big thing. But I'm also, I, I really, you haven't been banged on one good thing about him. And of course, you know, no, I said, 30, I said he has a lot of good measurables. He's got around. good speed, good no, size, good vision. Just 33 career touchdowns over 36. And how many career fumbles? Yeah, I, I don't have that stat up, but. But, uh, you know, of course, I'm just saying, for me, I said he's the second best running back out of the committee, which I still still stand with, but I don't think he's the second running back taken. That's why okay. in my initial mock draft, I have Darius Geis going, actually, in the first round, uh, slipping in there to the Lions because they don't have a running back there and they need some help if they don't address a D-line uh, with the new coach there, of course. But I think Sonny Michelle is the third running back taken, and I th- a third rounds is for me a third round's great for him. If I'm a team that's grabbing that talent in the third round, I'm happy. Uh, second round I think could be a stretch, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go towards the end of the second round. But I he's definitely not the second uh, running back taken for me, and he's definitely not top ten. So this guy. Yeah. Is, so really quickly before we move on, just to give you guys an idea. So the three running backs that we've been mentioning that I think we're all in consensus, we think are the three best running backs, Saquon Barkley, Ronald Jones, and Darius Geis. So in order, just in terms of fumble rate, Ronald Jones had the best fumble rate out of the three of them and the third best overall fumble rate at 207.7. So just about every 208 touches he gets, he fumbles once. 
Saquon Barkley, number four overall for running backs in this class, right behind Ronald Jones at 193.3. Darius Geis is quite a bit further down. He is at 100.6, which is in the average range. Um, so quite a big drop-off. That's still about half as much as what Sonny Michelle is doing, half as many times he fumbles. Um, but yeah, just to give you guys some idea in terms of stats for these guys and what their fumble rates are compared to Sonny Michelle. And of course, we're going to dive a lot deeper into these guys and dissect all parts of their game, good and bad. And we're going to, our opinions are going to be changing on these guys a ton since, of course, we really only know as much as you guys. We haven't been able to see the combine or anything like that. There hasn't been any additional besides the senior bowl and all these other watching the seasons for these guys and what we hear from a lot of these uh, sources of ours and what we speculate, there isn't much to work on past what we know now. So in the next month, one week you could be a huge Sonny Michelle fan and the next week you find out something else and it really makes you question and rethink where he might go. I know for me, the mock draft that we did, I already am trying to make a few changes in my mind. If we make our mock draft 2.0, I already have movement in my first round just from the AJ McCarron uh, becoming a free agent and other moves that uh, continue with this. I It's it's really going to be hard to tell right now with us, but Sonny Michelle's got a ton of talent, but of course a huge question mark with him with the fumbling, and it's really showed me actually right now with Corbin when he pulled up those stats with the running backs in this class. shows who holds onto the ball better than most, what about the averages where Geis is and just where you really don't want to be. And if you really look at the difference between Ronald Jones and him, that's a big difference from what you're talking about with the numbers. So we'll see how they prove each prove themselves in the combine and anything working up towards that. But for now, we can only look at numbers. Yeah, so really quickly, just one more stat for you guys before we move on. So just to give you guys an idea in terms of what the average is. So average fumble rate of the top 10 rushers in the NFL last season was 124.5. So just about 125 touches, one fumble. So, so guys is about right under it at about a hundred. Yeah. So a little lower. Ronald and then Jones Michelle is well under. farther. And then, yeah, Ronald Jones and Saquon Barkley have pretty good numbers when you put it up against Definitely. the average. So let's move on to the next topic for us. And that will be Sua Craven. So he is officially reinstated off of the reserve slash left squad list. So for anyone who doesn't know, Sua Cravens, before the NFL season started last year, a member of the Redskins, kind of a hybrid safety slash linebacker type player out of USC. Entering his second year in the league, the Redskins had spent a second round pick on him the year previous. And he decided that he was going to take some time away from football to kind of reevaluate his life and reevaluate if he wanted to keep playing football at all. Um, so the Redskins put him onto this reserve slash off team list or whatever I had said. What was it again? Reserve slash left squad list. And he did not come back to play at all this year, but now he has decided he wants to keep playing football. My question to you guys is, will the Redskins be receptive to having him come back or is he going to have to find a new squad? So Christian, I'll let you start with this one. What are your thoughts? I think because of his talent level, they'll be 100% receptive. It's not like he left for odd reasons. Like, he playing football at this level, like, some people need time to reconsider, like, what, what they got into. So, I don't, I don't think they're going to uh, try to move him right off the bat. I think they're going to give him a, 
a trial period, see if he comes back and he's about the system that, that they got going on there. And if he's not, then he still has enough talent to be moved somewhere else where he, if he wants to play, then he could play. Um, but they're at least with his talent, they're at least going to give him a shot. His second round pick is a pretty hefty investment, so I think that they're they're at least going to gauge where he's at mentally and physically before. I, mean, I think it's going to be. It's they're they're not going to they're going to do it in a, in a very nice way. They're going to do it with a very encouraging. Okay, I don't think it's so, going to be uh, anything negative. You don't think it's going to be hostile? So it sounds no, Christian, I don't think so. It sounds like you're talking about that from the perspective of people in the front office, owner, but what about the players, especially the players in the secondary? There's got to be some thought amongst them. Obviously, there's more concern now, more understanding about just players knowing the repercussions from playing football for a while, but still, you got to imagine, especially the players in the secondary, his brothers, so to speak, there's got to be some animosity with them just thinking he pretty much left us high and dry. We went into this season. Also, you got to just remember the timing, going into the season thinking he's going to be a part of the team, and then right before the season starts off, he just decides, yeah, i got to reevaluate really quick, something that I know about the situation that, that I was really reading when this went down and he left the team. People weren't happy about it. This wasn't, oh, let's just let him mull over his decision. He was mulling retirement, not just for... Just because he was an issue, he had a lot of mental problems, and he was it, apparently his fuse was extremely short. He was causing a lot of tension in the locker room. The secondary um, squad, they all were very fed up with his stuff. And when uh, he left, I heard a lot of players call him immature uh, and everything like that. So it wasn't hope you do well, hope you come back, see you soon, uh, Sua. It was more of a it was kind of a sour leave, and it, I, this wasn't let me mull over retirement. He was gone. He pretty much was out of football, and I most of the reports didn't show that he had plans on returning. So this was a decent shock because he spent an entire season after his rookie season of playing 11 games and played very well. Uh, he spent an entire season left, just like Corbin said, right before the season, really caused a lot of tension with that secondary room. But it's been an entire season. Do they... It's been an entire no, season. I, I, I really think if he comes in there with the right mindset that everything will be fine. If he comes in there and he does the same old shit, he's going to get moved immediately. Uh, I, I just don't think that they're going to be – they're going to come and be dicks to him. Sorry, yeah, sorry they, to curse, but they need, uh, they need some more depth there, of course, with uh, Fuller getting traded. The secondary is a definite area of concern for them, and we all believe they're going to be addressing that in the first round. Early in the draft, we all have a defensive player in the secondary going to him or going to them in our first mock drafts. Yeah, I think I had Derwin James. Yeah, you, uh, you both did. Uh, but definitely yeah. having him back would help the depth on that roster, even if he doesn't return to a starting role, at least getting him reintegrated onto the defense. And onto the team is really what's going to matter most because the front office is going to want him back. Just like you said, they invested a second-round pick. And it's something that you want to completely – uh, you know, you want to definitely look over before you just give up. But for Sua Cravens, it's an issue for him, and it's something that he's going to have a lot of work to do because this was just step one in his return. The Redskins do not need to welcome him back. So we'll see how they react, but definitely step one for him. And I'm glad to see at least that he's over whatever issues that he had and he's ready to return to football because he's a young, very gifted player in that secondary. And if he can figure out his personal problems, he's going to help that team a ton. And those players who can play that hybrid safety position are so valuable nowadays yeah. in the current NFL. Right. So that is he he could 
he could really be godsend for that defense. 100%. Definitely going to help them out if they allow him to come back and the team welcomes him with open arms. And if he can earn himself a roster spot, it's it's open game when it comes yeah, I to... Think, I mean, as long as he's stayed in football shape, I think he'll definitely yeah. earn the roster spot. And, Christian and this, is the thing about football. this is the thing about football. If he goes in there and he makes some plays and he gets some cheers, we're going to forget about yeah. this and it's going to be kumbaya and... It's going to be a good story then instead yeah. of we'll see. It's, it's going to be a little a little fun, oh, this is how my story started thing. Or restarted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. restarted. Restarted. Yeah, so, all right, let's move on from that on to our next topic. So, five finalists were announced to host the 2019 or 2020 NFL Draft. Those finalists were Cleveland slash Canton, Tennessee, Kansas City, Denver, and Las Vegas. So, Perry, I'll start with you. I know you got some thoughts on this. Are there any of those five finalists that you just feel like for sure they will have one of these drafts? Yeah, and these are five finalists to host the 2019 or 2020 draft. So two out of these five will be granted an NFL draft rather in 2019 or 2020. For me, Las Vegas is 100% the pick that they're going to go with. I don't know if that's... Thank you, baby. I don't know if it's 2019 or 2020, but they got a brand new team coming into that city and it's all about the hype going into Las Vegas. They need to hype the fact that they have an NFL team there. They need to build camaraderie. They need to build a fan base. And it's not going to be hard, of course. It's Las Vegas, and you're bringing the Raiders there. They're going to figure it out pretty quickly. But what better way than bringing the 2019 NFL draft or the 2020 if they need another year? 2020, and you have every single NFL anyone that matters in the NFL, everyone, all eyes are on that city, and it's all partnered with the NFL. When you say the words Las Vegas, it's NFL draft, NFL, Las Vegas, blah, 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 back and forth. At that point, it's drilled into everyone's mind that Las Vegas is a football city now, and that's never been the case. So Las Vegas is winning 2019 or 2020. There's not even a question in my mind. Christian, do you agree? I honestly don't see why it's not in Vegas every year. Like it's the, 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 the draft is indoors. It's not like you're gonna. It doesn't matter what city it is. It should be either in Vegas or Miami, dude. In a fun city, like I don't out Canton. That's cool. That okay. It's football. It's the Hall of Fame is there. But like, no, put it in a fun city. Like make this fun. Let there put it in Vegas. Totally let the U. Like Conor McGregor and Mayweather fight in the background with like hard <laughs> girls. Like, make this a fun city. I would love going to Vegas every year and getting blacked out. And yeah, Rams, Rams. I would. That would be Raiders. so much. Fun. I, I don't want to fly. I don't. I don't want to fly into Canton. I'm talking about my fandom, but I don't want to fly into Canton, Ohio. I flew in Ohio one time to play the Ohio Bobcats, and I never want to go there ever again. That's, that's, Ohio, Ohio is beautiful. They have trees and stuff. That's Cool, but like I want to go to Vegas. I want to drink drinks the giant yeah. grenades like we're, I do in New Orleans. We're, ta- we're talking Mountain Dews, baby. Hey. I'm talking Mountain Dews. Well, I'm not. Tw- I'm 22 now. But no, I'm we're just drinking Mountain that's, Dews. That's a quick shot, uh, sunlight reference for anyone who didn't know that when he was younger. But congratulations him on that gold gold yeah. medal, by the way. But yeah, Las Vegas is definitely winning one of these two. I agree with you. Why have it in Cleveland? I understand the rich football history in Canton, but it's a boring destination spot. It's inside. It's in a building. Think about this. Look how all sports are trying to make the all-star game and the draft and everything like that more appealable. The NFL is the first. They they just switched up the location for the draft. They're really trying to make that appealable. The all-star game for the NBA, just they just got with it changing that. The NFL has been changing up their 
formats for the All-Star game for years now. And they've, the more yeah, problems they've, they've, but they've been messing around with it for years at this point. And now they're moving on to the draft, finding ways to you know hype up the beginning of the season and make it a cool experience for fans. And there's no way to make it a cool experience in Canton, Ohio. But you can do that in Tennessee or you know Denver or Los, An- or Las Vegas. I don't like Kansas City either because I don't think that screams awesome destination spot to have all of our fans. But Tennessee, Denver, and Las Vegas for me are the three that you pick from for 2019 or 2020. If either of those three teams are able to land it, they're going to kill the NFL draft there. They're going to find a way to make this an awesome destination spot like they did last year and just continue to work on this. I'm excited that they're picking the 2019 and 2020 both, uh, I believe it's May, they're picking both at the same time. So we'll know where the drafts are for the next two years. And they'll be able to hype it up for those cities, especially for the 2019 one. Hopefully that's Las Vegas, and it's a smooth transition for them, building up a fan base for their new team. Yeah, it definitely makes a ton of sense to have one, if not both, there. Vegas is new to the NFL, and the NFL is in a great position to, like you said, Perry, make it an NFL town. Because when you think sports, especially professional sports, up until... This year with the NHL moving the or getting the Las Vegas Knights as an expansion franchise in Las Vegas, there hasn't been any professional teams there. And the NHL, not to disrespect the NHL, but it's nowhere near the same level as the NFL. So the NFL can come in, do whatever they possibly can to grow the fan base, which already is huge in Vegas anyways. But it's a great tourist attraction. It's a great place to go grow the economy from Vegas and maybe the NFL, I'm sure, They'll have different ways to benefit off of that and the different wagers that are going on. Uh, I mean, we've seen with the NBA trying to make betting legal in sports and especially the NBA and finding a way to capitalize off of that. I think as the NFL grows bigger in Las Vegas, they're going to be following the same blueprint. And something interesting someone told me the other day when we were having a conversation about the Raiders actually is that it's illegal to gamble on the home team in Vegas. So it's interesting that you won't be able to bet on the Raiders in if you're betting in Vegas. If you want to bet on the Raiders, you have to go online or Atlantic City or anything like that. You can't bet on the home team in Las Vegas, what I was told. I haven't looked this up, of course, so I don't want – don't quote me on this, guys, but – Definitely yeah. told it was it was someone who told me uh, actually runs it was called World Tour Rams it's the official fan club of the Rams they come into uh, my work a lot they they're official bar there so we were talking he's got a ton of football knowledge and loves talking football he brought that up and was really excited about talking about that because he loves betting and he is always spending a ton of money and always going to Vegas <laughs> for football games to bet and he bet a ton on the Super Bowl and now he was saying it's a really interesting factoid. You know, Raiders, you can't really bet on them if you're in Las Vegas. So it's interesting. You're going to have to take to online betting if you'd like to put your money on them. Yeah, I'd assume that would mean for the whole game. So it's not like if the Raiders are playing the Rams that you can bet on the Rams. No, it's, it's probably going to exclude yeah, the, the entire yeah. game. Uh, but yeah, let's move on from that. Congratulations to the five finalists to host the 2019 and 2020 NFL drafts. Cleveland, Tennessee, Kansas City, Denver, and Las Vegas. We're going to move on to the 49ers and their center, Daniel Kilgore. He, uh, they gave him a three-year extension worth almost $12 million uh, with $7 million guaranteed on track to be the 15th highest paid center in the league next year. Uh, it doesn't matter about the money. That's not really what we're talking about. We're speaking about the domino effect with Jimmy Garoppolo and the extension that we spoke about our last podcast 
Now, you know, just like you said, Christian, that I thought was an awesome way to explain uh, the center and the quarterback is a very intimate relationship. And they sh- it shows that with the quarterback extension that they just gave Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Kilgore is locked in and they're starting to build their battery and work around that. So I just want to hear your thoughts, Corbin, just on the 49ers clearly finding their routes towards success right now in building their battery up front. Yeah, it makes total sense. you got your franchise quarterback who, like it or not, he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. You invested, what, $74 million guaranteed in him? So, yeah, lock up your center. It doesn't have to be the best center in the league, which Daniel Kilgore is not, but he's a good center and someone who you just want... You just want Jimmy Garoppolo to be able to build a rapport with someone and be able to feel comfortable and feel confident that this is the group I'm going to have going forward. So it's starting to take shape. Garoppolo is the first domino to fall. Now Daniel Kilgore. Niners don't have a ton of people on that offense right now that you particularly want to have for the foreseeable future, but it's a nice start. And I think that in the draft also we're going to see a lot of building blocks towards something where... Yeah, and, and I think the Niners are realistic about this. They know they're not going to be winning the Super Bowl next year, but it's just getting those pieces in place. So Garoppolo, you got your center in place now, and Daniel Kilgore. It's a nice starting point. Yeah, now you go and you have Hyde, who potentially can become a free agent as well. So you work on rather re-signing him or figuring out uh, the running back position in the draft. And you know, for for them, you go and get your receivers. You go and find people for Jimmy Garoppolo to throw to. But Daniel Kilgore, as his center, clearly he had a say in the signing. They just signed Jimmy Garoppolo to this massive contract. Your center, the one that was snapping you the ball, he 100% gave them the A-OK for Daniel Kilgore, that that's the guy that he wants, that he's comfortable with. And they showed it literally a week after, maybe a week and a half. We just were talking about the Jim Lee Garoppolo extension. They now throw out more money for their offense. So we see what they're doing, and it's definitely a good plan. And we see them addressing offense in this draft. Of course, defense is going to be there as well. There's a lot of rounds, but... A lot. I think that a lot of their main players are going to come on offense to really build an offense around Jimmy Garoppolo. Christian, do you like this signing? I really do. Like, like I said earlier, it, it is an intimate relationship between the center and the quarterback. So Jimmy Garoppolo definitely had a lot of input in this signing. He maybe has spearheaded this. We don't know. We may find out. But locking this up is a sign that they, like you said, a domino effect. I think this is going to be a domino effect more specifically to offensive linemen uh, with their first pick, if not maybe take more offensive linemen. But I think they will go offensive tackle specifically, maybe Connor Williams at number nine. Yeah. Um, yeah that's or, ten, or ten, whatever they or, get. I, but, of course, Quentin Nelson, it was, I think we all can agree, probably the best offensive lineman. Yeah, on he'll probably be gone. Yeah, he will not. He will not. If either. he can fall to, to them, that would be a huge pickup. But I, I don't disagree with you. They could definitely address – offensive line again in the draft and work on completely building around Jimmy Garoppolo even more with the dominoes keep continuing to fall. We're going to move on from the 49ers in their center. The Jaguars uh, working off, you know, being in the AFC Championship last year. Um, just so impressive of a year that they were able to do. Turning around the year previous to that, winning four games, shows what you can do going out and building an identity. They got a new coach. They went and spent a ton of money on defense and got Fournette in the draft and did Tom Coughlin football, hard 
hard-nosed running and defense, and that's what wins championships for Coughlin, and that's what he believes in. And it really showed that they flipped the team completely with the defensive signings they made in investing that draft pick in Fournette. And getting Coughlin, it showed the world of difference, and this is a team that who knows how high their ceiling is now. So their owner, um, he announced that they are taking off the tarps off their top section of the stadium to increase seating. Uh, He's been trying to do this since purchasing the team. Uh, An additional 3,501 lower-priced seats will be available for the team's seven home games in 2018. So a lot of more affordable seats opening up for Jaguar fans. This is really for them growing their fan base. They're happy. They're building on their success. They're also announcing that they're looking at new jerseys. Um, They're possibly losing the two-tone helmet, which they're notorious for. So... Yeah, I, I like the fact that they might lose the two-tone helmet because it's a cool look, but I think they're trying to completely rebrand themselves and start over and work on this success that they've never really been able to work off of. So I, I really like the moves that the Jaguars are doing at the perfect timing, working off success and building towards, who knows, maybe a Super Bowl caliber year next year because who who would have thought a year, for, a year ago I'd be saying the words Super Bowl and Jaguars in the same sentence, unless I was saying that they would never make it. So now, it's so funny. It's actually funny you say that, Barry, uh, because have you ever watched the show uh, The Good Place? Uh, one of the characters actually he makes fun of. There's a joke where the Jaguars are never going to go to the Super Bowl, and I was thinking in my head like, dang, if the Jaguars win one more game, this whole show is going to look so stupid for making fun of the Jaguars for a whole yeah. season not going to the Super Bowl. I mean, they were and the they're about to make dog. it. They were the laughing yeah, stock. They obviously filmed that show before any of the football games were played so they're even a, a pop culture joke yeah. that they were so bad and now they're a super bowl caliber team yeah so for them changing the the jerseys are going to be huge for jersey sales they're going to capitalize on not just fans in their home state but all around the entire country even the world now that the nfl of course plays international games he's Gonna gain fan, they're gonna gain fans around the entire world more and more and more as they continue this success. New jerseys, new helmets, new look, uh, more seating in their stadium. Great times for the Jaguars, and I'm glad to see them building off last year. Wanted to bring that up. So big news for 2018. No jersey sketches have been made yet or helmet designs, but we'll be sure to tweet those the second that they come out so you guys can see those. We follow a ton of sources who get first look for those. So we'll be posting those the second we see them. And for us, we're so excited that the Jaguars aren't a joke anymore because I want to go to Florida. I actually was planning on going next year. I'm going to a music festival out there, and I'd love to go see a game. And I think it'd be great to see the new look Jaguars in a new, you know, with increased stadium. And because I am balling on a budget, so I'll probably take them up on one of those yeah, 3,501 lower price seats. So you might catch me at a Jaguars game next year when I go head out there. Uh, but yeah, we'll you, need to get, you need to get rowdy, like yeah, the fans. No, I mean, at this point, they got fans, so congrats to them. Blake Bortles, who knows where you're going to be going in the next year or two, but you saved yourself for next year. You definitely you definitely rode the coattail on this one, and I'm not a big Blake Bortles fan, but you got to give him props for the way he played with this team last year as well. Uh, but let's move yeah. on to uh, our last and final topic. Just want to talk about the year starting, of course, NFL season. Um, announcing the Ravens and the Bears are kicking it off. They're playing the Hall of Fame game. It's a Thursday game in August. So they are the first two teams playing an NFL game this year. The Ravens and the Bears, just excited to have football back. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, 
too far away. It's all that's the thing. Always when the Super Bowl ends, like I'm excited for the Super Bowl. Then when it ends, it's just now I gotta yeah, wait. You, you gotta go. Yeah, empty Sundays until you know they finally comes back to you. But we have a ton to talk about for the off season, of course. Get you guys all started for next season. So much to go over, and we've had a blast this episode going over all of this. Of course, came out with a Super Bowl episode and. Been riding on past that, but we really hope you guys are still staying in tune to the NFL, and we're helping you guys with that. We hope you guys are paying attention to our Twitter. We are all over that always, so please stay active with us and follow us at NFL Unwrapped. You won't regret it, no matter what it is. It's going to be anything with sports culture, anything with you know football signings, coaches. We have it all over the place, so take a look at that. We really appreciate you guys for tuning in to episode three. Um, I really anything from you guys. I'll just thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, I I had a lot of fun on this podcast. I know you guys did too. The NFL off season sometimes a little bit slower moving than in other professional sports leagues, but. Still a good amount to talk about, so I'm glad we got to get through this episode. And uh, just remember, Perry, if you're closing out this episode, make sure you say, I'm your co-host. Yeah, no, we're, we're all co-hosts here. We're all co-hosts and we're all equals and Christian's feelings are valued. But yeah, remember guys, your feelings are valued too. We, we, we really appreciate you guys being a part of the Unwrapped family. Uh, please go listen to us on SoundCloud or Apple Podcast app. You can take a look on either one, whatever's easiest for you. Uh, take a look at our Twitter. Again, that's NFL Unwrapped. You can follow me on Twitter at Perry Aston. You can follow Corbin on Twitter at CorbinMRPK and Christian on Twitter at McGowan75. So thank you guys so much again for tuning in to Episode 3 of NFL Unwrapped, where we unwrap the hottest takes from around the NFL. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, and just remember that you guys can also – Listen to our NBA podcast at yeah, NBA Unwrap. So, yeah, thank you guys all for listening and hope you guys tune so in again guys. next episode. Have a good night.